How do you solve a problem like anxiety? Hi, welcome to another episode of Business Mindset Mastery. I'm Heather Gray. I'm a mindset and performance coach for business owners, leaders, and entrepreneurs. You can always find me over at choosetohaveitall.com. And I have to be honest with you, I am coming into this podcast episode kicking and screaming a little bit. I really didn't want to do this show, um, mostly because I know it's an important topic and the pressure is on to deliver good actionable content and not just talk about a thing but help people use talk to find their way out of the thing. Um, I opened up my inbox recently and I had four back-to-back letters for the um, from listeners looking for my two cents to use on the podcast. And I, as I was lining them up and thinking about what order I would do the shows in and what I had to say for each one, it kind of occurred to me that the four letters all were basically asking me the same thing. How do I deal with my anxiety and still live my life? Or how do I deal with my anxiety and still run my business? And how do I eliminate my anxiety? That theme of constant worry, perseverating on a topic, not being able to get out of your own way, not being able to say what you mean and mean what you say, it all came down to being anxious, being afraid of conflict, being afraid of upsetting people, being like being afraid to be in a situation where you don't have the answers or you don't know what you're going to do. But fear and anxiety were just this central common thread. And I've joked at times with people that, you know, as soon as there's no more anxiety in this world, I'm out of a job because the number one thing that people come to me for around mindset support is managing fear, living with fear and pushing through fear. And I think one of the important caveats to say here is that I think sometimes people try to solve their anxiety by solving situations. So whatever's making them nervous at the time, they want to deal with that, problem solve that, and push through that, and then get on with their day. But anxiety is a pattern It's a patterned way of moving through the world and a patterned way of thinking about the world. I I probably said that backwards. What I probably should have said It's a patterned way of thinking about the world so that you develop a patterned behavior for moving through the world. And in recent years, I would probably say the past five to 10 years, the amount of anxiety I see first when I was a mental health therapist in private practice, and now as I manage and help and support people with mindset issues as they develop and grow their businesses, anxiety has just exploded. You can see it in the posts on Facebook. You can see it in social conversations that people are talking about. There's, um, you know, websites and books and, and strategies like up to wazoo, all talking about managing anxiety. And when people ask me what I think about this and why, one of the things that keeps coming to mind for me, and I said this a lot when I was a private therapist, is that anxiety became the socially appropriate and the socially accepted acceptable mental illness to have. If you were to talk about being depressed, if you were to talk about feeling, um, you know, kind of down and in the dumps or feeling a loss of purpose or exceedingly negative or having a bad, you know, having a problem in your relationship, any other sort of mental health struggle 
it doesn't become the thing you can talk about. It's the thing you talk about in the dark corners of a room or you write in your diary or maybe if you're lucky you get yourself a therapist <clears throat> excuse me, and talk to a therapist about it, but you don't talk about it publicly. Anxiety, though, presents in this like kind of cunning and manipulative way that can fool people because suddenly because you're anxious, you become a perfectionist. Suddenly because you're anxious, you care about attention to detail. Because you're anxious, you arrive early. You become reliable. People can rely on you. Because if you're worrying all the time, you're constantly trying to be perfect. And how can wanting to be a good, how can wanting to do a good job or be a good person possibly be bad? So I think what's happened over time is people got sick and tired of feeling sick and tired, feeling lonely, isolated, and disconnected. In a search for finding relief, anxiety found a home. Because when you're worried about what people will think of you, when you're worried about doing the best possible job, you get a lot of attention for that. You get validation. People tell you to take it easy. People support you and remind you that, you know, it's okay not to be perfect. I just did a podcast episode on that like two weeks ago. If you scroll back into the episode list, you'll surely find it. And it's this thing that everybody can talk about with ease and doesn't have the same association with crazy. It doesn't have the same association with unstable or with unreliable or with unprofessional. Anxiety has been paired with a strive for success, a strive for betterment. This idea that there's a good, better, best, and you can attain it and you can go for it. And what ends up happening is we have this biological response to new situations, to risk that says, danger, danger, slow down, slow down, careful here, this might be scary. And when you give that oxygen, when you give those thoughts of danger, of risk, oxygen, you're creating a foundation for how you look at the world. At first, it feels like you're getting prepared. Well, what if there's traffic? What if I, you know, I tell, you know, so-and-so what I really think and I hurt their feelings? What if I tell them that my feelings were hurt and they tell me that I just completely read the situation wrong? What if, what if, what if? And that what if trail takes you to this place of, well, I'm just trying to do a good job. I'm just trying to be better. But what ends up happening in that quest for perfection is you create an army. You create all of these examples for why any situation in front of you becomes the thing you're supposed to be afraid of, becomes the worst thing ever. And every time you go there, every time you say worst thing ever, you are creating a story that implies you are not capable well, what if I create this thing and nobody buys? What if I ask for this sale and someone tells me I'm sleazy and you know spammy and they never want to be on my email list? What if I tell this person what I really think and they tell me they don't want to be my friend anymore? What if? What if? What if? And this you know this train of thought takes you nowhere fast, but it becomes the way you train your brain to look at every new situation. So suddenly you become afraid of things. That 
that you weren't so afraid of six months ago or a year ago or two years ago. And it's become this patterned way that you look at your life and you look at your choices. That managing anxiety so often becomes tuning in to your capability. Recognizing that, as Marie Forleo likes to say, everything is figure outable. I like to say everything is Googleable. <laughs> if you can't find it, if you don't know, you can always look up an answer. But the problem is, is we are so overstimulated these days. Um, I was, uh, <laughs> I was in a cafe the other day, just reading a magazine with a cup of coffee, and I was deliberately unplugged and disconnected. My phone was left in my car. That was how deliberate and intentional I wanted to be about how I spent my time. I just wanted some quiet time with myself. I had my cup of coffee. I had my magazine. And as I looked up, I watched and I saw people with laptops in front of them and phones in their hand, people with friends or, you know, somebody across the table from them and phones in their hand, multiple screens, multiple sources of sort of information. And that's the way we move through the world these days. We are constantly bombarded with social media messages. I myself bombard myself with podcasts on the regular. My car is never silent for 10 seconds because there's always a podcast episode I can be listening to. But when we're like watching TV, suddenly the commercial breaks are a reason to check our phones real quick. But that there's no off button for the messaging, the constant chatter, the noise in our lives. And if you think about a baby, if there's excessive volume, you can see the baby's reaction to that excessive volume. If there's quick, rapid images, you can see the baby's reaction, the inability to process at that rapid speed. You can almost see the physical manifestation of you know, sort of anxiety when a baby or a young child is overstimulated. We, my friends, are all just grown-up kids. And when we live in an overstimulated world, we become overstimulated people, and it's like our nerve endings get frayed, and it's a constant source of buzzing, and we start to fuel ourselves on anxiety to the point where it feels normal, where stress isn't the exception to the rule, it is the rule. It's how we move through the world and how we run our days and how we make our decisions. But the problem with anxiety is it makes us feel small. So outwardly, it becomes the socially accepted, you know, socially accepted, acceptable mental illness. It becomes the thing you can talk about and nobody's going to look at you twice. It becomes the, you know, sort of, it's like the, it's just the blasé description for how a lot of people move through the world and how they move through their day. But at the heart of it, it's a disconnect from identity. It's a disconnect from how you see yourself and how you see the way you move through the world. It takes away your sense of control, even though you think your anxiety is increasing your control. The most controlling people on the planet 
are also usually the most anxious. They're trying to control the people around them. They're trying to control every possible threat to the way their day is going to go. They're trying to change the ending to the story as soon as they don't like where it's going. It's a source of sort of drive and perfectionism for always being on top of things. And it sounds good. It's, it's sometimes people can like trick themselves and think it sounds like leadership. But what it really is, is a lack of identity, a lack of autonomy, and a lack of a sense of self, because we're too busy getting our messaging and our messages from people outside of ourselves. I talked to you a couple of months ago about how I've taken Facebook off my phone. And it's funny because all my pictures are on my phone. So, so often I end up putting the darn app back on my phone just so I could share a picture with my friends about how I spend my day. But it is unreal to me how the difference in my mood and my energy and how I approach things without that immediate boredom buster, without that immediate distraction on my phone, without that immediate call of somebody sending something that they think I need to know that second. But if we start to look at where in our own lives are we encountering too much noise, where things are entirely too tense, where it's just too much, and what if we give ourselves permission to look that fear in the eye and say like this, this way of moving through the world, this constant need to fix things, to plan things, to perceive things 10 steps ahead, it's not worth it. I don't want this. Whatever I'm afraid of, I will deal with because trying to prevent every single fear from happening is no longer worth it. People come to me and ask me all the time how they can manage their anxiety. They see in theory where it's self-limiting. They see how it holds them back. They see how they don't speak their truth and they don't speak up and they don't tell the world what they mean and they don't mean what they say. But at the end of the day, they hold on to their anxiety, even though it's the thing they say they want to get rid of, even if it's the thing they say they've hired me to help them get rid of. They're so afraid of letting go of that control, of opening themselves up to not knowing and dealing with the unknown, whatever might happen next. So to really reduce anxiety, yes, there's strategies. Mel Robbins right now is leading the charge with her five-minute rule or five-second rule, rather, I'm sorry. Um, and all of the, you know, and I've talked to you about my own strategies and I'll review my sort of point of view on ways of managing it. But at the end of the day, being less anxious comes down to a choice of being willing to live with the unknown, tuning into your capability that you will figure it out and recognizing that by not obsessively looking for what's next or what's behind you, something very well likely will end up getting dropped. That 
is the hardest choice for people who want to let go of anxiety. They don't want the buzzing. They don't want that inner sensation, but they also don't want to let go of their control. But reducing anxiety comes down to decreasing a need for control of the outcomes. The other piece to this, and this is where I just want to kind of review strategy a little bit and remind you guys of the like ways anxiety takes root. And I, I'm going to give you an extreme example because I just want you to um, be able to kind of think outside yourself for a little bit and get out of whatever you're particularly anxious about, but just to under take a second to understand the way our brains work a little bit. So I had this client who developed obsessive compulsive disorder, which is a form of anxiety where there's perse- perseverating thoughts chronically that are really, really hard to shut up. And they often come with perseverating behaviors that feel as though um, they're so compulsive and so impulsive that the person suffering feels like they absolutely must do the thing or something bad is going to happen. So this is an extreme form of anxiety. And when I talk about that, I'm not, and I talk about, you know, this specific example, I'm not talking about like, you know, sort of generalizing this anxiety discussion to the most extreme example. I just want to use an extreme example here to help you understand how regular everyday anxiety can kind of manifest itself and show up. So I had a client who got incredibly bad news of um, two family members experiencing, um, I think it was imminent, um, imminent health crisis. It was two uncles who were in a car accident. Both had been um, sent to the ICU. Um, her mother was completely overwrought. Um, her brothers were both, you know, seriously ill, of course, and it was creating this sense of panic. She also had this deadline at work that was crucial for um, a promotion. And I think she herself at the time, if I recall correctly, um, was also going through a health crisis of her own. So she gets this call and she needs to travel out of state. She decides that it's easier and faster and more expedient just to drive. And as she's driving, her heart is racing. She can't breathe. She's afraid of like what she's leaving behind at work. She's afraid that her mother, who's a little emotionally fragile herself, isn't going to be able to cope with the pending health crisis of two family members, and she's completely overwrought. Um, Somebody nearly cuts her off on the road because she's not paying attention. So finally, she starts to breathe by reading the exit signs and focusing on each exit sign as she passes. And she recognizes that at some point, she starts to breathe again. She feels calm again. And then on the way home, home when she's processing the events of the several days and one of the uncles had passed one of the uncles um, had survived but you know was going to be critically ill for a while longer she soothed herself and managed her guilt and her bad feelings about leaving her family behind to return to work by taking some deep breaths and again focusing on the exit signs and at some point with that pattern of repetition I don't know how often she did it it became a story that her brain told her that so long as she reads every exit sign, everything will be fine. But if she misses one, if she doesn't read an exit sign or she misses a part of an exit sign, then something bad could happen. And she forces herself to get off the road, get off the highway, turn around, reread the sign, and then continue on until it was a very pervasive uh, compulsive behavior on her part. The way anxiety takes root, 
Regular everyday anxiety is the same way that the extreme OCD anxiety takes root. It's because we develop these repeated patterns to perceive trigger events or new situations in front of us. If we want to manage our anxiety, if we want to become less anxious people, we have to retrain our brain with different behavior responses to those triggers. So when this happens, I'm not going to do this. I'm going to do that. When this happens, instead of perseverating, instead of Googling ad nauseum, instead of doing whatever my impulse is telling me to do, I'm just going to do this. And usually what that answer is for regular everyday folks, it's going to be tuning into the desired outcome as if you're going to make it happen as if you were in control of making it happen. Rather than worrying about what's going to go wrong or all the things of how things can go wrong, you are going to tune in to the plan, to what you're capable of, to recognizing that there have been so many situations in your life and in your business where you haven't known the answer and you have simply figured it out, that you are no longer going to choose behaviors based on what you think. You are going to choose new behaviors regardless of what you think. And you are going to do that on repeat until you are no longer sort of associated with the automatic thought pattern of, you know, I do X, Y, and Z every single time this happens. Because you retrain your brain to have a new response to the perceived trigger or event in front of you. I also want to say at this point in time, and this is purely bias on my part, I absolutely believe that people can ignore what they think and feel and choose a different action to retrain their brain. I also think that takes crap tons of time sometimes, and sometimes psychopharmological intervention in the form of an anti-anxiety medication can get in much faster much more expediently and can reduce the suffering. It's not everyone's cup of tea, but a lot of people avoid considering it because they avoid the stigma attached to it or they're afraid of reliance and dependency. But what we need sometimes are actual sort of medical chemical interventions to change our wiring construction, especially when we've chosen repeated behaviors over time, it becomes as automatic as how, how we tie our shoes and how we put on a pair of pants. So if, if you're struggling and you can't successfully intervene and you're trying to respond to, you know, triggers in new ways and look at this with a different set of eyes and you're finding yourself largely unsuccessful, I will tell you that it takes time and you sometimes get to skip a couple of weeks with the aid of an anti-anxiety medication, particularly, particularly for um, anything, any anxiety that's been sort of come as a result of some sort of medical event or change to your body or to your health. I used to see people, um, women after they were pregnant and had had their baby, um, develop really pervasive anxiety, depression, or, you know, anything like that in terms of postpartum, um, you know, feelings and emotions and, 
uh, events. And a lot of times, you know, we could spend all this time doing behavioral interventions when in, in reality, like we just needed a little tweak in our chemical balance and get them on their way. So I do want to start that conversation because, it, you know, I try to be transparent on the show. Um, and, and that is something, you know, usually when somebody has been struggling with anxiety for a really long time and they're really, you know, genuinely ready to, to sort of let go of some control and to find some relief from the suffering, I do tend to recommend a doctor consultation with somebody who specializes in anxiety to see how it can help. But again, like do it with a doctor, do it with a full diagnosis. So that way you can rule out any medical issues that might be, you know, sort of um, presenting as anxiety, but could be symptoms of things that lie beneath and you get something that's tailored to you based on what you're dealing with and what you're living with. But the, you know, part of it, part of this discussion is so crucial is the part where you decide for yourself that anxiety is no longer a requirement and a given and how you move through the world. Then you were going to give yourself permission to let go, to not worry and to figure it out. And that also means, my friends, that you're going to have to be comfortable with feeling the things that all of your, you know, sort of anxious thoughts and anxious reactions have protected you from. Because I think a lot of times what happens is when we get discouraged, when we feel failure, when we feel bad about ourselves, when we're in a moment of insecurity, those feelings become largely inconvenient and the default becomes push them through with anxiety. So if you're reducing anxiety in your life, if you're getting a handle on it, those feelings you've been trying to avoid, those feelings you've tried to filter through with an anxious lens are going to come and they're going to, you're going to have to deal with them, but you're capable of dealing with them and everything is figure outable, but you have to make the choice to be open and to be willing that there's no guarantee for how things are going to turn out, but that's not a reason not to do it. That the fear of failure isn't a reason not to do it. The fear of conflict isn't a reason not to do it. Obviously, sometimes you're going to have a hard time finding the words. Obviously, you know, you're going to have to deal with unintended consequences of your truth. But if you can remind yourself that you're capable of that, then you're going to stop being chased by ghosts and you're going to be able to stand still and be present in your daily life. I don't at all expect this podcast episode to be a singular treatment intervention for somebody who's struggling with long-term anxiety. If you're in that web, if you're caught up in it, you're going to need some long-term work and assistance. It doesn't, you know, it doesn't have to be, I don't say long-term, <laughs> meaning you're going to be in therapy for years and years, but you can probably count on needing some help and assistance with retraining your brain for at least three months to get in the habit because it takes 21 days to build a new habit. And as soon as we lose that habit and we go back to old patterns of behavior, we have to restart that clock. So that's, you know, usually I tell Tell people if you're really looking to reduce this, you have to plan on a three month minimum, but you can take care of yourself in that time and you can choose the path and the life and the business that you want for yourself by choosing to face whatever comes next, by choosing to believe that you are capable of handling whatever comes next. This episode does not at all mean that I am against, you know, answering people's specific questions to specific situations. Again, I'm going to send this episode 
episode to the letters that I received. If you don't feel as though your question's been answered through this general discussion, I invite you to let me know and I will read your question on the air and I will give you a specific response to your question. But again, um, if you're getting this email from me with this episode, it largely means that I think your deal is anxiety and that you got to let go of some control. Thanks so much for listening into today's conversation, for being willing to have it with me and to continue to have the hard talks. Mindset in real time and regular every day isn't easy, but I'm so glad to be doing it with you and I look forward to talking to you next time. Bye for now.